We're going to talk this morning about the power of a good soundtrack. If you're a guest today, or maybe you're, you feel like a guest today because maybe you haven't been here a whole lot in the last two years, it's cool. There's no judgment here today. Um, we're going to talk about the power of a good soundtrack because let's just kind of get real. We don't take ourselves too seriously around here. We don't do stuffy very well, okay? Uh, if you came for a very dignified service today, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. We don't do dignified super good around her. So um, <laughs> let's just, here's the thing. A mediocre movie can be better if it's got a good soundtrack. And a good movie can be like, eh, if the soundtrack's bad, right? Soundtrack can make or break a movie. Sometimes the soundtrack is the best part of a movie, and sometimes we remember it better than the movie, right? Fly me to the danger zone. You just left me hanging. The young people are like, that's an old song. I don't know. Top Gun. Anybody? No? See, everybody my age and older is like, that's right. Go fly a plane. Okay. That was Kenny Loggins, and I was going to use another one of his with Footloose. But if y'all couldn't get Top Gun, you weren't even born when Footloose came out. Okay. All right. Maybe this one will resonate better with the front section. It means no worries for the rest of our days. It's our problem-free philosophy. You are fired. You don't... You don't work here, but we're going to hire you just so we can fire you. That's terrible. Throw him out. (laughs) And maybe this is me just being a dude, but I believe the best part of Titanic, the movie, was the Celine Dion theme song, right? Eye of the Tiger, when I hear that song, I want to punch somebody. Right? Like, it doesn't motivate me. It brings up violence in my soul. Like, let's go, let's go fight somebody. Right? Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Did you know that's from the movie Armageddon? That song was way better than the movie. Right? That theme song, a theme song was infinitely better than the movie it came from. Right? And then, okay, how about this one? I've had the time <laughs> I was actually going to dance. I was going to play it. Do you know what movie that's from? All of you need to get saved today. We just said the words dirty and dancing in a Baptist church on Easter Sunday. <laughs> so I grew up so Baptist that like dirty and dancing's redundant because there ain't no kind of dancing but dirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? The best-selling soundtrack of all time, though, is from the movie The Bodyguard. Right? That's good stuff. And the reason that we're talking about a soundtrack for three minutes is this. Our focus for the next few minutes together is going to be this. We're going to look together at the soundtrack of Easter. We're going to look at the soundtrack of the most important week 
in all of human history what we now call Holy Week. And so I invite you please to grab your Bible this morning or phone or tablet, whatever it is that you use. If you don't have a Bible today, if you look underneath the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible there. And if you don't own a Bible, please let that be an Easter gift from us to you today. Uh, please go ahead and keep that. And I'll tell you, we have a tradition here before we uh, open this book. Uh, we say a creed together and a prayer together before we dive in. Every week there's people at different uh, places in their spiritual journey. And so if, if what we're declaring isn't where you're at today, don't feel pressure to join with us in that. But if it does resonate with you, then we invite you to hold up your Bibles and to, to declare this with some Easter confidence today. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Please turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 479. Psalm 118. If you've been around church for a long time, maybe you're like, if we're listening to the soundtrack of Easter, why are we going to the Old Testament? We took a wrong turn. And that was the same question I had. I, I first heard uh, there, there's a pastor who um, who I think very highly of. Uh, his name's uh, Ben Stewart. And, and I was listening to a sermon by him from several years ago where he was speaking on Easter. And he was in Psalm 118. And I'm like, dude, why are you in the Psalms on Easter Sunday? And the more I listened to him talk it kind of got me excited and I dove into this psalm and started studying this psalm and reading articles and 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 uh, research about this psalm and listening to other sermons about this psalm. And I've been excited for weeks for us to land here because this song is the soundtrack of Easter. This is one of the older psalms. This uh, We guess uh, that this is over a thousand years before Easter. A thousand years before Jesus' last week on planet Earth, we think this song was written. Remember, these are lyrics to a song, right? These are lyrics that would be sung. This is one of the most uh, often quoted Old Testament texts that we find in the New Testament. Matter of fact, some Jewish theologians believe this is the greatest song of all time because of the implications of these lyrics. And before we, we look at it, I will tell you, because if you grew up in church or maybe you like the more mystical stuff, maybe you've heard this before. Um, if you Google what's the center of the Bible, some people teach that Psalm 118 is the center of the Bible. And before you Google that, don't do that now. Hang with me. Uh, before you Google that, I just want to tell you, that's not true. It sounds cool. I wish I could say we're looking at the dead center of God's word today, but based on different translations of the Bible, we're not totally sure what the center chapter is because some people do that differently. And in some English translations, this kind of might be the center chapter, but the Bible wasn't originally written with chapters. So that's a whole brand new thing that's like just in our generation. And I know that as Americans, we think we own the English language, but like the Bible wasn't originally written in English. And so all of that is, is a bit of, a, of missing the mark. But we love the spooky stuff. We're like, it's the center. That makes it magical or something. I don't know. And people will tell you, well, here's what makes Psalm 118 special. The song before it, Psalm 117, is the shortest chapter in the Bible. 
And the psalm after it, Psalm 119, is the longest chapter in the Bible, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. And so we want really bad to, to make this be the center of the Bible, but here's what it is. It is the center of Holy Week. It is the dead center of Jesus' last week on planet Earth. And if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you do the math of the life of Jesus, over one-third of those four books is made up of the last week of Jesus' life, what we call Holy Week. And what we'll see again and again is this song shows up. We know that Jesus is going into Jerusalem on the week of Passover. And so people are traveling from all around that area into Jerusalem. And Psalm 118 is part of the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, which again, is not what they were called back then. They didn't have numbers. But those Psalms were the Psalms that were kind of the center of Passover. And so when Jesus on Palm Sunday is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, they're waving palm branches. They're laying their coats down on the ground as Jesus makes his triumphal entry. What we see them say is, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And those are lyrics from this song. As a matter of fact, most theologians think they just gave that one quote in the gospel accounts because you were supposed to know that means they sang this whole song. They were just quoting part of the song to say, for a thousand years, we've been singing that somebody was going to come in the name of the Lord and save us. And they were for the first time going, that's who the song's about. That was the, that was the significance of that moment. After a thousand years, they're like, now we get what the song was pointing towards. Jesus then quotes these lyrics when he goes into the temple and sees the people of God being ripped off, taken advantage of, and he overturns the tables of the money changers. And then he quotes this song. Historians tell us that as Jesus would have been walking the streets of Jerusalem, people would have just been singing these songs throughout the whole week. Like people would have just been walking around singing Psalms 113 through 118. And then when we read in Matthew chapter 26, if you were with us for our Good Friday service, we pointed out that after that last supper that Jesus would have with his followers, which wasn't the last, there's still another supper coming, but we call it the last supper. It says they sang a hymn together, but they probably didn't sing what we call a hymn. They sang some psalms. Which means the last song Jesus sang before he went out to the garden to pray when he would be betrayed was this great song. This is the soundtrack for Easter. Let's look at the first verse. And if you're thinking that was a long introduction and we haven't read a verse yet, the introduction is the longest part. Your ham will not overcook. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. If Psalm 118 
is the soundtrack for the first Easter. The title of the track is the word forever. If this song had a name, it would be the word forever, which is incredibly significant. And we're going to talk about why. So if you have a different translation of the Bible, there might be a different word here for what it says endures forever. Your your version of the Bible might say his mercy. It might say um, his faithful love might say his loving kindness. There's a lot of different translations here for this word because it's such a big, huge word. We have a hard time finding an English word that does it justice. The English Standard Version is the version we're quoting from this morning. They picked steadfast love. It's a, it's a mercy and a kindness and a faithful love that is steadfast. Not just meets us in the moment, but it's faithful. And so they took this word and, and, and they were like, let's call it steadfast love, not just love. Which, if we think about what's a synonym for steadfast or faithful or, or lasting, it's the word forever. So his forever love, his forever mercy, his forever kindness endures forever. You say, well, that feels redundant. It's actually more redundant than that. In the original language, there's not two words for endures forever. There's only one word. And it's the most forever word that exists in the Hebrew. So much so that almost every English translation said it's forever, like enduring forever. (laughs) We're going to be redundant with this word. It endures. It doesn't stop. It lasts for forever. How long? Well, forever, forever. So here's how this song really reads. The forever love of God is forever for forever. And I got to tell you, that's some good old Easter good news right there. Nothing can stop the love of God. And the reason that's such good news is every one of us on planet Earth have experienced love that wasn't very forever. It was actually pretty circumstantial. It was based on how we did or what we did or how we responded. Many of us have experienced a love that we would call fickle or fragile or not very lasting. It had a light switch built into it. When we did what that person liked, oh, the love light got turned on. And then we did something they didn't like, oh, it got turned off. Right? And so praise God, there's a different kind of love offered to us in a relationship with the living God. It's a forever love that is forever for forever. That's the soundtrack of Easter. That we are welcomed into a forever love. So, uh, again, verse 1. Look at it again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his forever love is forever, forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron, that's the priest, say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. And literally in this song right now, we've got like this shout out thing going. Where it's like, let Aaron say, all right, let the people say, right? Like, right? You see the priest, he's bouncing. He's like, what's up? If you go 
That's not, I'm not being disrespectful, right? If you go to Psalm 136, the whole song repeats this phrase. Like they start telling history. And then God did, his love endures forever. And then he did, and his love endures, like the whole psalm has this phrase. Meaning this is the, and, and probably when we call this a, a song, it was probably more like chanted. So truly that whole, what's up, what's up, like that's a better picture of his love endures, the way we sing in the American church. Oh, we just dropped that right on Easter Sunday, right there. Just going to keep going. This is a forever love that the people of God celebrate repeatedly. By the way, that song is going to last for forever, too. (laughs) Because I believe there's coming a great day when we're going to see him for who he is and we're going to stand before his throne. And what we're going to say is there ain't no love like his love. His love endures forever. That's not just going to be the reality. It's going to be our song too. So his love endures forever. The soundtrack of Easter is this song. And the amazing thing is, is they're singing this song again and again on the days leading up to when Jesus would go to the cross. And they had no idea the lengths that God would go to seal the foreverness of his love. And we have the privilege of living on this side of the cross knowing You ain't never seen a love like that kind of love, right? It would endure the shame, the rejection, and the hate of the cross for us. Verse 5, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. It's not just a song of forever love. It is a song of forever freedom. The people of God sang about freedom a lot because they had been slaves. But in, in the not too distant future, their, their people would be slaves again. But there's a kind of freedom that we're offered in the person of Jesus that will never lead us back to bondage again. He sets his people free. This word distress is a word that, that pictures, a lot of the words in, in the Bible are picture words that, that the English just doesn't capture great. And, and, and the word distress is this idea of pressure coming in on us. In my, in my vice grip, life was being squeezed out of me. The way that I hear people say this a lot is I was stuck. I was stuck in an addiction or I was stuck in a behavior. I was stuck in a worldview. I was stuck in despair. I was stuck in in all kinds of hopelessness. And then I encountered a forever love that set me free. And I'm not stuck anymore because I met Jesus. I kept trying to wiggle out of the vice grips and will my way out of where I was stuck and try harder to do better. And when I stepped back and looked at myself, I was still stuck. And then I met Jesus and he set me free. There's a forever freedom that's being sung about before the cross that is our reality now in Jesus Christ. Verse number six, the Lord is on my side. I 
will not fear. People keep talking about how our culture today is kind of being awfully ugly to one another. We're seeing a lot of hatefulness with one another. And I I would just propose to you, I, I think the unkindness we're seeing is not actually the problem. It's a symptom. I think we're in a moment where society is being governed by fear. We're being controlled by fear. And here's the reality of the forever love of God. It'll set you free from the thing that you are most scared of. The forever love of God is more powerful than the thing that is most terrifying before you. And right now that the headlines are being sold as clickbait of we're about to have an economic downturn and I can't imagine what the next next election cycle is going to be. And oh my goodness, we're going to have another COVID outbreak and fear this and fear that. And here's the deal. We just need to turn up the soundtrack that the forever love of God is greater and stronger and more powerful than all of our fears. There is a forever love of God that sets us free and therefore gives us peace when everything around us is terrifying. And maybe when everybody else around us is losing their mind. (laughs) And we're governed by this peace. If Jesus went to the cross for you, What do we really have to be afraid of? Like if he absorbed the punishment for everything we've done wrong, what are we scared of? If the gospel's true today, what fear is greater than that reality? The rest of that verse says, I love this, what can man do to me? Like God has claimed me as his own. And you wrote a tweet about me. Okay. Right? We talked last week about how the people of God should be the people in society who can disagree with worldviews and still be kind and loving because we know that they can't hurt us. The king of the universe holds us in his hand. So people are going to be like, Christians are dumb. Oh, no, my world is falling. Like, what? Okay. What can man do to us? Keep reading a few verses here. Verse 7. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better. This is so good. It is better to take refuge. What a beautiful word. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Well, what about really powerful men? I'm glad you asked. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. There's a refuge found in the presence of God that is our confidence. So because I'm rescued by forever love, I walk in forever freedom, being governed by forever peace, and walking in Forever confidence. I'm his. Forever. I don't need to trust in anybody else. 
Which means I can walk into a relationship and I'm not trying to take from you my identity or my self-worth or I don't need anything from anybody because my refuge is the God of all gods. I can just exist in a relationship and love you. Because he's our refuge. He's our confidence. So the soundtrack of Easter is forever. Forever love, forever freedom, forever peace, forever confidence. And then here's the best part. We're going to skip a a bunch of verses because it talks more about this confidence thing. We, We think this song was written by King David and he talks about being surrounded by all the nations. And we use that kind of language exaggerating. He actually was. But I want to skip down to verse 17. I shall not die. Okay, y'all. We must have missed it. Let's circle back. Jesus sang these words before he went out to be betrayed. Jesus sang these words on his way to the cross. Jesus sang these words over and over again on Holy Week. He tells his closest people, I'm about to be executed. And he's still singing the song, I shall not die, I shall live. It's almost as though Jesus knew Sunday was coming. (laughs) He sang these words and then went to the garden and prayed in agony before his father and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood for the death that he was about to die on our behalf. But he knew that wouldn't be the end of the story. And because that wasn't the end of his story, that means death isn't the end of our story either. We face the most painful thing that exists in the human experience, death, with this strange hope and confidence where we believe death has forever been defeated. A forever kind of life. On his way to the cross, I shall not die. I I have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like for you. But let me show you another forever that I believe can be true for you tomorrow. Look down to verse number 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice And be glad in it. Son and daughter of God, you will never walk into a single day that hasn't been governed by the sovereign king of the universe. All the things that catch us off guard on the daily have never rattled him, shaken him, or confused him because he's good and his love endures forever. And that means tomorrow if I get the phone call I didn't want and things don't go well at my job and and our kids don't get up on time for school tomorrow because they're on a sugar hangover from Easter weekend and we're not getting along with each other and the car doesn't start and the AC goes out and it starts raining when it says there's not supposed to be any rain. I didn't wear my rain shoes because apparently that's a thing. Then I can still say, 
This is the day that the forever loving God of the universe has made and I can walk in joy. I might not walk in giddy happiness about my circumstances. As a matter of fact, I might be straight up grieving and sad about the circumstances. But there's this forever thing shining inside of me because of my relationship with the forever God. He's produced in me a forever joy. And I believe if the world, as miserable as they are right now, would see the people of God having some peace and confidence in the junk that we're all walking into, and they'd go, how are you not rattled? How are you not miserable? Why have you not kicked the dog today and cussed and thrown your coffee across the room? I don't understand it. And our response is, don't you know? His love endures forever. And I believe That the God who loves me no matter what made today. And so I don't understand what's up and stuff isn't going my way. But I know that his love will never leave me hanging. Because of the forever love of God. We're forever free. Governed by a forever peace, walking in a forever confidence because we can claim forever life. And that produces forever joy. And all of that is summed up with one more forever. A forever salvation. It shows up a few times here in the text. We'll just look at two verses Circle back up to verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. Remember, this is the soundtrack, right? He has become my salvation. I'm not my salvation. My parents' religious views are not my salvation. The kind of church I attend is not my salvation. A prayer I prayed as a child is not my salvation. The God of my salvation is my salvation. And look at verse 25. This is where we're going to end our time together. Save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, O Lord. This plea, this calling out, shows up on Easter week with a word that doesn't exist in the English language. It's the word Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save now. Some scholars say it's more of a a begging, so it might be better translated, save now. Please, please. When they cried out to Jesus of Nazareth, Hosanna to the son of David, they cried out, save us now, please. And he did not answer them verbally, but what he demonstrated is, you betcha. And he rode straight to the cross. So that he might save us. And if the idea of salvation or the the word save is a little too churchy for you and you're like, I don't know what that means. Let me explain this. We believe that 
At the beginning of the human story, we didn't need to be saved. The beginning of the human story is we existed in perfect harmony and connection and fellowship with God. That wasn't good enough for us. We wanted to be like him. So we rebelled against him. And what the scriptures say is that every human being who's ever lived in that moment fell short of God's glorious standard. None of us are as good as God. We don't like to compare ourselves to God. We like to compare ourselves to people that we think are bad people. When we are trying to determine our goodness, we often look at somebody that we think is worse than us. And we're like, well, I'm not that guy. So I can't be that bad. But when we compare ourselves against the perfection of God, we all end up in the very same boat. Not him. We all fall short. It's a human reality. And by the way, every religion that's ever existed throughout humankind acknowledges there's a fallenness. There's a disconnect from God. And so every religion that we have record of has had a list of rules or a system or a plan for how we can work our way or earn our way back into connection with God. And the most consistent, forever repeated theme in human history is we can't work our way or earn our way back into Godness. The story of Jesus is the only story ever told about connection with God where God would come to us. Where Jesus would live the life that none of us have been able to live so that he could be the sacrifice that none of us could be. So that he could restore us again. That's what it is to be saved. To restore us again into a relationship with a holy God. He does that because nothing can stop his love. It endures forever. Which is why the soundtrack of Easter ends where it begins. The last verse of the song says the same thing as the first verse of the song. Give thanks to the Lord. (laughs) Because his forever love is forever for forever. I want to share a story with you and then we'll be done. I got to meet a guy a few weeks ago named Matthew. Matthew uh, is a Haitian pastor in the Dominican Republic. Went there a few weeks ago with my brother Greg. As you leave today, you can see some of Project uh, New Jerusalem that we've partnered with and seen God providing for. I got to go meet these five Haitian pastors that are serving in the Dominican. And here's the thing about Matthew. If you don't know a lot about Haitian culture, it's very British. And so his Matthew is spelled I-E-U at the end uh, because the British are cooler than us. So they spell things cooler than we do. Sorry, Matthew. You're just a boring E-W. I don't don't know what to tell you, bro. This is Matthew with the cool spelling. And we're standing in front of Matthew's house here. Hearing Matthew's story... I just heard screaming at me the soundtrack of Easter of a guy who encountered a very temporary version of human love and a guy who experienced a very forever kind of love in the heart of God. His story is that his mother died in childbirth and at a very young age his father died as well and he was orphaned. He lived in the Haitian village Pastel where the village decided he's not worth loving well. He experienced the temporariness of human life 
through death and grief and then experienced rejection from his own community. As a matter of fact, his nickname, I'm not making this up, is Ugly. Like that, that's what they call him. He's ugly. Literally, we reject him. That's what he's since he was a child. The village had so rejected Matthew that they gave him to some local fishermen and said, when you go out to go fishing, we want you to throw him overboard and drown him. We want nothing to do with him. Those fishermen decided to do less of a Jonah and more of a Joseph and said, I bet we can sell this kid in Port-au-Prince for some money. We're not going to throw him overboard. We're going to sell him on the streets. They couldn't find anybody who would buy him. So they just left him on the streets in Port-au-Prince. Out of the need to survive, Matthew ended up joining a street gang. If you have read any of the articles or know much about Haiti, it's ruled by gangs. Profoundly corrupt. But some of you have heard us mention before a Filipino missionary in Haiti named Lenny Funteca. Lenny met Matthew as a street kid in a gang. And Lenny began to show this young man a love that endures forever. This kid who'd been rejected and cast aside encountered the story of Easter and his life was forever changed because he got saved. He got saved and found a new identity and a new purpose and a new peace and a new joy and a new calling. Went to seminary and is now serving in a church plant among both Haitians and Dominicans outside of Santo Domingo. He's married, has a beautiful family. But this past year, if you remember, there was another earthquake in Haiti. God broke his heart for the people who had cast him aside. Without two pennies to rub together, he worked to fill a truck full of supplies got funds to hire security to make it through all of the gangs controlling the streets. If you know much about how corrupt it is, most of the supplies were not making it to the villages they were being sent to because of the same kinds of gangs like the one he was in. And with threat to his life, he could have stayed in the Dominican and been safe and comfortable, and the dude walked straight into danger in order to take a truck full of supplies back to the people that rejected him and wanted him dead took a truck full of supplies back to that village and both displayed and declared that there's a God whose love endures forever. There's a God whose love is stronger than the ugliest form of hate this world can possibly offer and nothing can stop it. His love endures forever. How does that happen? How does a guy who's that wounded and that rejected have that kind of confidence and that kind of courage to go towards the people who hated him? Here's how that is possible. His forever love is forever for forever 
for everybody. Because of the cross of Jesus and because of his bodily resurrection from the grave, that love is available to you this morning. And at the end of the day, we're walking out of this place with one of two realities. Confident that our identity is in the love of God or unaware, unsure, unsettled, or maybe knowing that we've not given our life to Jesus. We've not been saved. We've not experienced what Jesus calls being born again. And here's the deal. This Easter Sunday, we don't want a single person walking out of here being a spectator of Easter. We want you to be a participant of the forever love of God.